0: Today, we're gonna talk about making better portraits by having fun, both in front of the camera and behind the camera on Behind the Shot. Hi again, welcome to Behind the Shot. This is the show where we try and get inside the mind of great photographers by taking a closer look behind one of their shots from conception to completion and all the stories and challenges that happen in between. I'm Steve Brazel. As always, this show will have a blog post associated with it. You can see all the show notes up at BehindTheShot.tv. Also, if you want to subscribe to the podcast, it's available in whatever podcast app you choose. If the podcast app supports video, there is a video feed for you. If it doesn't, there's also an audio feed and the video video is also up on the YouTube channel at Behind the Shot. Make sure on YouTube, if you do subscribe to that channel, hit the bell too. That way you get each and every notification when I post something new. So today's guest is somebody I talked to a while ago. We got to know each other a little bit and I love his podcast. We'll get into that in a minute actually. But I want to welcome to the show Behind the Shot, uh, Abarian X. Parello. How are you, sir? Good to meet you.
1: I'm good, man. Good to see you and talk with you again.
0: Yeah, it's nice to see you again, too. And I was commenting in the green room, I love your lighting. Your lighting is so nice. (laughs) Um, So we're going to get into the fact that you do a podcast because your podcast is not only well known, but it's on some really good lists of great podcasts. I'll touch on that, too, in a minute. But let's kind of hit some some baseline stuff here. You are L.A. based and your type of street photography, the way I think of it, is not just street photography, but like street photography and people, how do you describe the type of photography that you do?
1: Oh man, I just, I always struggle with that because people always want to put you in a certain genre. And I tell people I shoot streets, I shoot travel, I shoot portraiture, and depending on who I'm talking to, I'll kind of skew it for one or the other. Uh, I just have an affinity for all three of them, in fact, I just have an affinity for f- photographing anything. But um, if I if I have the time and I have my choice, uh, I love just hitting the streets, doing traditional street photography as well as doing street portraits of complete complete strangers. Uh, and it's it's always been a part of my approach to photography. So,
0: as as a photographer and and doing all the different things that you do, I was in researching you for this show. I was fascinated to, to see that you're an author as well. I knew you were an educator. I did not know that you had authored six books. So let me let me mention some of the books in case people want to go get them. Chasing the Light, Improving Your Photography, Using Available Light, and then also Making Photographs, Developing a Personal Visual Workflow. That's an interesting one to me. And along with that side, you're a podcaster. So let's talk about your podcast a little bit, uh, The Candid okay. Frame. How often do you release the candid
1: frame? Excuse me. It's usually every week, God willing, and um, yeah, I usually put out in um, probably fifty episodes a year, but sometimes I miss I miss a week for whatever reason. Uh, I've been doing it since two thousand six, so by the end or by the beginning
0: of twenty twenty, I'll be at my five hundredth episode. You've been doing. The Candid Frame podcast for thirteen years. Two thousand six, most people didn't even know what a podcast was yet.
1: Yeah, there were there were very few out there. I think I they came to my attention in two thousand five, which was just soon after, you know, it started getting into you know the techies' uh, awareness, and because I was one of them, I started hearing about this this thing called podcasting, and uh, I was listening to photo podcasts like tips from the top floor with Chris Marquart. Chris Marquart
0: also still going.
1: Yeah, he's the godfather I would think for for photo podcast and then Martin Bailey. And there were several also others Also still out going. There. Yeah. And uh there were several others like Jeff Curto and um maybe a, and a lot of other ones that are no longer around. And I thought that it would be nice if we had a show where people actually talk to photographers about photography and process because that really wasn't around so i just figured out well since i write all the time and i interview people and i have access to photographers as as a result of my work as a magazine editor why don't i just do it so i just kind of figured the mechanics of it and just began calling people emailing them and saying hey i'm doing this show i'd love to talk to you about your work and i've been doing it ever since
0: you literally just described the way I ended up podcasting and the reason that I do this show. I've said it a million times. I love a good interview, right? There's, yeah. it's, it's neat to see, you know, more information about a specific person. But the reason I do the show the way that I do is because I want to know process, right? I want to learn about people based on how they work. I want to reverse the, the personal interview and interview the photograph to find out how that photographer actually ticks. I want to mention your podcast this is cool to me. Uh, Flurn, Aaron Nace of Flurn, uh, was just on my show right before yours, gave us a discount code I'll give out in a minute. But they also have a magazine at the Flurn site, and they just released a blog post of the best podcasts for photographers. The Candid Frame is on it, sir. Congratulations to you.
1: Yeah, thank you. I was very excited to hear that.
0: Yeah, and it was, it was a really good list of podcasts. I'm not on it, which actually isn't surprising to me. I've only been doing it a couple of years, but... But there were some really good podcasts on there. And the Candid Frame being on there, if anybody's looking for it, the Aaron Nace episode, I've got a link to that, that magazine article. So before we get into the picture, I want to I ask you a couple of just general photography questions. One of them is, how do you do what you do? Because every time I have a guest on, I look through their portfolio. And usually what I'm looking for is commonalities in shots, right? Sometimes even the artist will see two shots as completely different. But if you look at a body of work as a whole, you can kind of tend to see common threads, commonalities, right? You have a a, a knack for seeing and capturing angles and light and geometry like very, very few people do. Do you realize that you see that way? I think it's, it's,
1: I've been more aware of it and sensitive to it as a result of the teaching that I've been doing. You know, as a result of having to, you know, teach people basically my personal approach to photography to help them develop their own, I've had to be very self-aware to a great degree, and then writing the books also helped that. So I think as a result of, I think the last five years, I've been a lot more conscious of my process than I ever was before then. Um, So as I as I progress, uh, I'm I'm. Sometimes I can see where I'm going but other times it's just a general sense of oh this is new to me and I kind of kind of like that sometimes it's not completely clear to me but I see in the work that there's something different happening and that I'm making a different choice and it's just a, a process of discovery for me
0: let, let me let me follow up on that are you are you saying that you're aware of that sensation during shooting or when you're looking, At them on the computer. Oh, later
1: on, I'm looking at them on the computer. I mean, but part of it is that I see something and I react to it and I'm sometimes conscious of making a slightly different choice because there's, there's certain things I, I have photographed what, not, there are certain ways I have photographed countless times and I know I could put it, pull it out like a rabbit out of a hat. And so I've been sort of challenging myself to make different choices that when I react to something, not immediately going to my go-to to to capture the image and thinking about it, and i basically asking myself the question, what else can I do? Right. Okay. And so So, it's like, what different choice can I make here to take it somewhere where uh, I might not otherwise? And sometimes it may completely fail sometimes it succeeds but each photograph just inspires me to just rethink and and to really sort of challenge the way that I see
0: with street photography do you prefer prefer the more open yes I, I don't mind if you see me shooting or do you prefer the more covert type of street photography
1: doesn't matter to me yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm out there shooting. Sometimes people see what I'm doing. Other times people are completely oblivious to me. Um, you know, whatever I need to do to get the shot is what, what what matters to me. If people see me, you know, after I've made the shot, I may smile. I may interact with them. Uh, but for the most part, I find that most people just don't care. And um, I'm often just like, you know, I'm like a shark, constantly moving. I never really kind of... There's some times where I'm just stand still, and I'm like, say, at a, a street corner. And then I've found the setting, and people see me from a distance, so they assume that I'm taking a picture of something else. But I may have scouted them when they were like 50 yards away right. and, and knew they was going to make them an element of the shot. So to some degree, they are aware that I'm there making photographs. They just don't know what's happening in my head or within my frame. Okay. And then there are other times where I'm just moving, and I see something, and I just react really quickly. And I'm, But I just, I don't stop. I don't make eye contact. I just... I just keep moving.
0: So, all right. So I want to get in today's shot, uh, into today's shot before we do though, a quick reminder for people that on the last episode, I had Aaron Nace of Phlearn, and I loved it. It was such a great episode. And if you're not familiar with Flurn, you should go look it up, uh, P-H, learn all one word, flurn.com. Uh, And Aaron was kind enough to give us a 20% discount code on a a Flurn subscription. So if you're interested in that, all you got to do is use the code behind the shot 20. It's all one word behind the shot 20. That will get you 20% off a subscription at Flurn, And I just think that's a really good deal. Uh, Also, one other thing, Flickr. We've got a Flickr group now. Make sure you head on over to there. It's behind the shot is the name of the group. Go join that. We're going to use that for some show-related stuff uh, down the road. Me and Don Komarechka are going to do some stuff together. uh, And it should be fun. So again, if you're a Flickr member, head on up there. And if you haven't used Flickr for a while since SmugMug bought it, really like it. They've done a really, really good job. So let's talk about this shot, all right? Because as I was looking through your photos, trying to pick the image that we were going to talk about today, and we went back and forth on a couple of them, but this one still sticks in my mind because this is a guy that is my youth, including the Dick Van Dyke show. So this is an image of the legend himself, Dick Van Dyke. And I wanted, for those of you listening on an audio feed, as always, I highly recommend you go to the website behindtheshot.tv and go take a look at the shot. It's on the blog post with this episode. You can also go look at the video version of the show, either on YouTube or in your podcast feed, and you can see the picture in the video version. But let me try and describe it. For the audio people, it's a portrait orientation shot. This is actually, I think, the first portrait orientation photo that I've ever used on the show. I usually go landscape orientation because it, it fits a video format better. Dick Van Dyke is sitting in what looks like an office with a wall of windows at an old desk with a pen and part of a little notebook or book on there as well. There's a, a jacket rack of hangers behind him, but there's you know four empty hangers and and two jackets. There's a picture that says, hmm, baby. And here's the thing that I love about this. This is what makes this shot fun to me. Dick Van Dyke with the classic Dick Van Dyke smile. I mean, his his smile is just infectious. So let's start on on discussing this shot at the beginning. This was shot with a Fuji, right?
1: Yeah, it was a Fuji X100S.
0: Okay, now... I looked up the EXIF data, and it says aperture priority. Is that something you normally do, shoot in aperture priority? Yeah, it's usually aperture priority or or manual mode. And so when you're doing this, the EXIF data said this was F5.6, assuming that's correct. What would have made you choose aperture priority at 5.6, as opposed to at 8 or 4 or whatever?
1: Well, usually when in aperture priority, I usually... I uh, have my camera set at a default of 5.6. Uh, and that's just um, so I always know what my starting point is. And then usually when I look through the viewfinder or the LCD, I, I see what's happening with my shutter speed. And that usually kind of determines whether I need to increase or decrease my ISO. Because if my shutter speed, say, is too slow, like it's a 30th of a second, at which point I would need to increase my ISO
0: in order to get a more reasonable shutter speed.
1: Okay. Um, well, this says shooting. that it
0: was one one twenty-fifth of a second. Is there a minimum that you'd go? I mean, obviously one one twenty-fifth is okay. What if it dropped to, you know, eighty or sixty? Where's your baseline for oh bump the ISO? Cause I want to have a minimum shutter of
1: It really depends on the subject. Usually on the street, it's usually at least 200, 250th of a second. Because Because you're not stopping
0: people. You're trying to catch them while in movement.
1: Right. So I'm trying to counter my own camera shake and the movement of the subject. When I was shooting in the studio for that year, um, most of the people were often static. If If anything that was happening was with movements of their hands. So I didn't mind if I got a little... Blur from them moving their hands as they were gesturing while they were talking. Uh, since they were either standing or sitting down, it, a one twenty-fifth of a second was more than enough to give me a sharp, a sharp result. Especially since I was using the equivalent of a thirty-five millimeter lens, and uh, five point six was just a generous sort of depth of field because in that particular shot, I would, I wanted to get the environment uh, of the studio to be as much a part of the picture as my uh, my rendering of Dick.
0: See, and and it's that environmental portrait part of this shot to me that really works. You could crop tight on Dick here and it would still be a fantastic shot. But getting the open doorway, the jackets, the wall of windows, the hmm, baby sign, um, a little bit of a couch so that you know there's a couch in the room, that kind of sets your, your mind on what kind of room it is, the desk, the, the, the surface on the desk with a scratch on it all adds to me as a viewer. I mean, I feel like I'm in the room. I see enough of the pieces to assemble a room in my head. Now you said it's a, a 35 millimeter equivalent. This was 23 millimeters. Where is this? It looks like an LA office building. Yeah, it
1: is shot at the studios of uh, Maximum Fun who produce the NPR show show uh, Bullseye with Jesse Thorne which is uh, aired nationally in different public radio stations all over all over the, you know, the country. And uh, I was uh, a uh, production assistant um, at the show for a year. And so I was editing uh, and helping to produce the, that show as well as some of the other podcasts that they, that they produce there. So I had been doing the podcast for 10 years by that time, and I saw this ad for um, a fellow. basically, it was a production fellow so the actual title for it. And I thought oh, it would be really interesting to have a chance to work with you know a, a show that basically is being produced to the, to the quality standards of NPR. And so I applied, I got in, and um, it was great. So, And then during my time there, I started documenting what was happening in the studio because I was behind a computer editing audio all day. And I was just going crazy that I wasn't having much of a chance to shoot. So I just started bringing my camera to work and started documenting all the activities that, that happened at the studio, including the various guests, actors, singers, rappers, artists that would come to the studio to get interviewed. As soon as the interview was over, I'd pick up my camera and uh, start making images of them interacting with Jesse and whoever else was there.
0: Okay, so let me ask you this then. For a session like this, were you were you there with Dick Van Dyke knowing that you were going to shoot? Were you a fly on the wall? Uh, I mean, in, in other a, words, was it yeah. an actual photo session or no, you no, were no, just no, no, no. not?
1: All the images that I made during that time were me basically, basically being a fly on the wall. Um, the, the, the offices there are very relatively small. There's a large area where most of the production team is. And then there is a dividing wall that leads to Jesse's office and the recording booth. So anytime that the episodes are being recorded, the guests go into the recording booth. And as soon as I would hear that they were done, I'd hear the door to the recording booth open up. And I would just get up, grab my camera, stop doing what I was doing. And then I would just find my way to where, wherever the action was. And I would just start making photographs. And... Um, him, uh, Jesse, and Dick uh, were talking about politics because this was during the last the twenty sixteen election, I think was going on, and uh, Dick Van Dyke was really big into Bernie, and I think he had just gone to a rally or something, and uh, so they sat down and they were just talking, talking politics, and I just positioned myself uh, to the left and almost slightly behind Jesse, while he was talking with Dick Van Dyke, so I just got up there and I just started making photographs while they were engaged with each other and uh, as you noted all the other elements within the frame were things i was very conscious of as i composed okay the that shot. was going to
0: be one of my questions so yeah. you were is this is this crop straight out of camera or would you have cropped it in post
1: i think i cropped it slightly because i think that the my composition was slightly off kilter Okay, so you so leveled it. Effectively. So I leveled it, so I lost a little bit of it. So there's a little minor crop, but for the most part, I always try to shoot a crop in frame, in camera. Okay,
0: so that explains it. So one of my questions was, who's he actually talking to during this? And now we know that it's that it's Jesse. Mm-hmm. Um, as you're going in there and you're shooting this candid, was it obviously based on looking at this picture, right? There's a wall of windows through the door, at least. On the other side of that doorway, there's a wall of windows. Does that continue in the room that you're in? So is this all window light?
1: Yeah, yeah. So to the right and to Dick's left is a large window, which has some large curtains. And uh, I I think they were probably open because of the quality of light on Dick. But those really 10 feet, 12 feet windows go along the all the entire Outer, 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 wall of the office. So you're getting all this wonderful window light coming in and because of the color of the walls that if I remember them right, they were off white. Um, they were, it was getting a lot of reflected light within the room. So it was pretty much uh, an even, uh, even overall qu- quality of line.
0: What's interesting is, yeah, I can, I can believe the curtains were pulled. It's not a super soft light. It's not actually a harsh light. It's a re- Especially, I didn't mention this when I described the picture, but this is black and white. And this light works so amazing in black and white, especially where the couch is more white, the desk is gray, there's a dark jacket and a medium gray jacket, the frame around the "Mm, baby poster is dark, but "Mm," is white. There's so many contrast elements in this picture. I'm curious as you were standing there, What made you choose to shoot portrait as opposed to landscape orientation? Was it that you wanted to get the um, baby sign in? Well, part of it
1: was that I didn't want to include too much of the couch because you mentioned it's white.
0: Really? Okay. So that was a conscious thing.
1: Yeah. So I knew I didn't want to have a lot of that in the frame. Um, So that was my initial impulse to go vertical. And then once I went vertical, I just saw the different elements in the frame. So I was... Carefully, sort of refining my composition as they he was engaged with, um, with with Jesse. So it was kind of this small kind of adjustments that I was doing, and then just just being aware of his expression and his gesture the entire time. So I was just making these micro adjustments, and the, the uh, result just is keeping just an a- eye amazing. Well, thanks. You-
0: you made the comment about the couch that because it's white, you didn't want a large white object in there. Right. Mm -hmm. When, but, but you did leave a part of the couch. So that was, was your intent to try and get the couch totally out or you did want a little bit of it in there.
1: I wanted a little bit of the couch because, because the whole idea of all the images that I made during that year was basically to tell the story of, of what it was like to work uh, at, at maximum fun for a year. So part all the images that I produced there weren't meant to be just portraits of, of the subjects, though I did make some, some portraits, straight up portraits. Most of it was uh, basically an opportunity for me to practice documentary photography. So I was applying all my, my, uh, my street aesthetic, my approach on the street, but doing it within a confined space that I had ready access to you know, five days a week.
0: Did did you... I, I've got to ask. It's Dick Van Dyke, right? I mean, I would have been fanboying. Did you have a chance to talk to him for a little bit? I
1: talked to him for just a little bit, you know, introduced myself, shook his hand. Um, but I, I I'm, most of the time didn't want to sort of intrude on what was happening between him and Jesse. Sometimes, you know, I would... If there was someone... There, uh, like Kamal, W. Kamal Bell came to the studio, and uh, he came a little early, so I had a chance to talk with him a bit, and I made a, and I made a portrait of of him while we were waiting for 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 Jesse. But for the most part, you know, once people came in, uh, the producer usually made a beeline for them and started getting them ready. So I just really had to sort of gauge what the vibe was. After the interview, because that was the time for me to be able to sort of go in. And I never asked permission to to shoot. Really? I just... No. I mean, they knew I was a photographer, and then I just started making photographs, and no one ever said anything. And so I just kept kept shooting it. And, and I think the fact that I was always very discreet, I think, helped a a whole lot.
0: Right. Yeah, that makes sense. So what is your... Okay, so you shoot something like this, or you shoot on the street, or whatever... What is your basic workflow once you have your images in the camera, um, or even let's go to when you are shooting. I'm curious how much A, you pre-visualize your shot. So this one you were aware of the room as an example, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm also, once you do get your, your shots and you, you come back to the computer, what is your workflow for importing and, and culling and editing your pictures?
1: Uh, I'll go through Lightroom. I usually use Lightroom. I'm playing with Capture One, but primarily I use Lightroom. I'll import them into into, uh, into my computer. And I usually would just look through them really quickly uh, and just look for one that I'm going to post on Instagram the next day. And then usually I just leave them alone. Um, I'll probably return to them, you know, maybe the following week or a couple of weeks afterwards and really do a serious culling of the images. Um, just so I can have some separation between how I may have felt that day when I was making, making right. the photographs and having a more, you know, uh, less invested um, attitude towards the pictures. And then I kind of just flag the images and sort of try to um, cull them down to a reasonable amount. Usually I'm only looking for one, two, three images at the most. Um, I kind of know what I'm looking for with my photographs. The great majority of them are I, I consider just practice, um, because for me, I'm really looking for photographs that I've not made before. I'm looking for images that have that evidence of them, because there are pictures I know that are are nice and good, but the images that I've I've done, you know, hundred thousand times before, I'm not right. really interested in seeing those images. I'm really hunting for the images that show me, oh, okay. I'm taking a risk here. Oh, this failed, comp- failed, but it was an interesting mistake. Let me examine this, and so I just kind of put those together and just have them as reference as I go out and shoot the next time.
0: I like that attitude. Actually, was that you know this this image didn't turn out like I wanted, so not not throw it away. Let's examine it. Because something interesting is happening, whether I like the end result or not, there's something into, you know, find finding the sweet spot in something that you may not overall like an image like this. What would you have done in post?
1: Oh, I think uh, I just well, usually in Lightroom, I will make an adjustment using the color file and I'll do my usual, you know, levels, adjustments, curves, uh, color adjustments, all that. And then I'll convert it, uh, make a virtual copy, and go into a black and white mode. And I'll basically use the black and white controls in Lightroom in order to get the, the the look that I want from from the black and white. All of that, that whole body of work, I knew was going to be black and white from the very beginning.
0: Okay. So Let, so. Me, let me go deeper on that. Because looking through your website, which is popping up, by the way, on the screen all the time here, uh, thecandidframe.com. Looking through your website, you have street portraits, portraits, street photography in both color and black and white. You're not like some street photographers that are, you know, it's black and white or die type thing, right? Mm-hmm. So why on a shot like this, when clearly there are times you choose color, why did you know that these would be black and white and that this one would be black and white? Or how did you know?
1: Man, I don't have a good answer for you on that one. I just felt like this needs to be black and white. It was just, I just kind of knew it from the very beginning, just because of the spirit of, of the kind of. St- I, I was, I think it was more reflective of the story that that I think I wanted the relationships, the 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 spirit of what it was like to work there, to be at the fore, and uh, I felt that doing it in black and white. Was the best way to to do that, um, you know. I'm, I can see the color images, and maybe they, they might have worked just as well in color. But to my thinking, um, then um, I just felt like black and white was just the right right choice.
0: You know what's interesting? Speak. Okay, I'm going I'm to take this specific image as my case model here. In color. I actually don't know how well this would have worked in comparison to the black and white. And here's why to me. I don't know. uh, Like I mentioned before, there's six hangers on the coat rack. Two of them have coats. Four of them are empty. And they're even. It's almost like you couldn't have set it up better, right? They're evenly spaced. So you have jacket, two hangers, jacket, two hangers. It's Mm. it's symmetrical in that sense. But one of them is a mid-gray and one of them is a dark, dark blackish gray. In color, I don't know what they could have been because some colors are not dark colors, but they convert to a dark color in a black and white. I may not have noticed the contrast of those jackets as much if they were just two colors. So really yeah. this shot in black and white, it's, it's what we always say, right? Black and white strips out the real life and leaves you with shapes. And here I'm left really noticing the, the black pen against the gray desk. For all I know, that gr- that desk was yellow. I don't know.
1: Yeah, it was a gray desk. It was an old gray metal desk. But your point about the lines and shapes was at the forefront of my mind when I was making the composition because the, the line and shape of the desk, the doorway, um, the rack, the couch. I was looking at the couch and all of those things, not as a couch, not as a doorway, not as hangers, but of lines and shapes and how I wanted each to complement each other. So that's why I was so careful in terms of the refining of the frame because I wanted to have a sense of balance in terms of the setting.
0: Yeah, and and it does. It balances quite well. You've you've got because there's words on that picture, on that poster, mm, baby. That dr- does draw your attention, right? It's not a secondary thing. You want to read text in a picture. That balances Dick from the high to low area. Then if you had that doorway open which by the way brilliant that you left the doorknob in there okay a lot of people <laughs> would have cropped that out the fact that it's not just a doorway but I can see the door lets me feel like I can walk through it and you've got all those windows back there that would have been, that would brightness wise would have made the picture heavy on the camera right side by putting a white the white couch in there enough to know that it's a couch because you can actually see the foot of the couch too That balances that doorway. There's a lot in this image compositionally that just really, really works. If, okay, I have two questions. One, if you were to be able to shoot this one again, is there anything you'd do differently?
1: Oh, that's a good question. Um, Probably not. I think I I still, I really like this shot. Um, If anything... I might have just pushed a little harder to get a, a straight up portrait of Dick, of just his face, because he's just got a great, great face.
0: Again, it, th- that, his, that <sighs> smile, how many times have you and I seen that smile oh, in our man. lives? And it is an infectious attitude that he eludes, you know, exudes, not eludes, exudes oh, he, from his face.
1: He does, like, I think 100 sit-ups uh, every morning. He was talking about his exercise routine, and he's just like, he's just inexhaustible. He's just amazing.
0: I love it. Um, how could somebody that doesn't do this, that wants to do this more, do you, do you have anything that somebody could do or learn or practice to set themselves up to grab a more fun type of shot or image like this?
1: For me, it's my approach to portraiture oftentimes is hanging out with a camera. That for me is the ideal portrait sitting. Not putting somebody in front of a white seamless in a studio with a strobe. Uh, for me, I'm at a complete loss as to what to do on that situation because there's nothing to play off of. right. So when I do like a portrait a portrait session, I'm like, let's go out and hang out somewhere, you know, and I just grab my camera and then we just go wherever. Not necessarily a park, but some place where there can be some activity, like a restaurant or a bar or something, you know, where we can have interactions with stuff. and then, you know, I'm often looking at where the light is, so I'll try to choose a location or a spot within whatever venue we've gone to where the light is good, and then we'll just start talking and I'll shoot on occasion. And so I think the, the, the anyone you have access to in that way photograph them get them used to you having your camera around all the time because they're going to be some people that are going to be like what are you doing but once they get used to the fact that you're always photographing most people eventually just disregard you so right. next time almost you go almost out,
0: forget that you're there
1: yeah i mean go out with three or four of your friends on some some you know some excursion go to the museum it doesn't really matter what the what it is but them interacting with each other as well as you provides you a perfect opportunity to just be there and just constantly observing them, their interactions, their reactions, the gestures, the way the light is changing as you're, you're, you know, you're sitting there. Um, you get to be really observe people being very relaxed in themselves in a way that's very difficult to elicit when you just have them standing fully exposed in, in front of a backdrop or a wall.
0: So you are through your podcast for 13 years. That still really amazes me. 13 years of the Candid Frame. And by the way, folks, if you have not listened to the Candid Frame, something that you definitely should do. But you're also, you're a study of photographers, but you're also a studier of people and shapes and photographs and the art as as a whole, right? So I'm kind of curious, who's the photographer you would say that if people are not familiar with, they should go look up?
1: Oh, man, that is so hard because there's so many photographers who um, have made an impression on me. Um, there's a photographer who I have loved forever, and I've had the, the good fortune of interviewing him twice, and that's William Albert Allard. Okay. Famous National Geographic photographer, the and he... Uh, has had you know published several books over the span of his career, but uh, there's there's a one book that if you can find it, grab it. Uh, it's called, um, oh my god, I'm drawing a blank. I'll have to take a look. But basically, it's about his approach to documentary photography, his way, his approach to um, um, telling telling stories. And I just went through that book over and over and over again, and. I just loved his, his sensibility, his eye, but also how he would, you know, build relationships with people for the purposes of photographing them. And he was an, an amazing technician because he used primarily Kodachrome 64 and 200. And he would do things with that film that everyone else would tell you that is impossible. Really? Because he would photograph under conditions where the light is barely indiscernible. You know, the kind of light, indoor light, for example, we're just getting some some, some light in from just a doorway or from, you know, the neon light of some juke joint in Mississippi. And he would make these photographs and he would be shooting at a 15th of a second, something like that with his lens wide open. And you look at these photographs and you just go, how is that even possible?
0: Okay. And, so and we got to look him up. Just done it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I've interviewed him twice. I interviewed him, I think about two years ago it was the last time or maybe a year ago. Uh, he's a, he's a, he's a gem, but. Uh, so
0: just in case now that people have heard the description of how he shoots, say the name one more time. William
1: Albert Allard. Allard is spelled A-L-L-A-R-D.
0: Okay. So go look him up too. And I'm, I'm ready to start typing it now myself. If people want to find out more about a Baryonix Perello. Uh you've got obviously you're on all social medias and it's X on all the social media platforms. So yeah, uh, right. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh you, you, by the way, speaking of Twitter, you are one of the most prolific people sharing links and information on Twitter. If you're not following him on Twitter, you really should. Again, it's at AbarianX. Uh your website with all your tutorials and and your podcast and everything is the com. Right. What episode number are you on? You're about to do 500, I think you said?
1: Well, at the beginning of 2020, I think I'm at 484 now. So we're like 16 episodes away from 500.
0: Awesome. Just congratulations on the success and on making oh, that thanks. list that Fleurne mentioned. That is just awesome. And thank you so much for being on the show, man. I really appreciate it.
1: My pleasure, man. Anytime.
0: Yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun. And real quick before we go, I do want to let everybody know the Flurn discount. I just mentioned the Candid Frame was on that Flurn magazine list of the best podcasts for photographers. Uh, go find that list. The the link to that is in the Aaron Nace episode, which was one episode before this one with the Baryonyx. Uh, oh, and if I can I, mention
1: one, one thing, my, the yeah. book, my last book that you mentioned, Making Photographs, Developing a Personal Visual Workflow. Um, if people go to the Rocky Nook website, rockynook.com, and purchase the book from there and use the promo code Porello forty p e r e l l o numeral 40 uh they can get a I think it's a 40 percent discount on the hardcover or the ebook or
0: both okay so let's do that one one more time um so Rocky nook is a well-known publisher of of photography books I know uh Scott Kelby I think uses Rocky That's Nook. Right. Alan mm-hmm. Hess I think uses Rocky nook so rockynook.com Nook.com and find a barianex's book name give me the title of the book again.
1: Making photographs.
0: Okay, and this is the Visual Workflow book, right. and mm-hmm. the code no spaces, all one word, Pirello, which is his last name. Forty Pirello forty will P E R E L L O. With a normal forty. That will get 40, you a, a discount on the book. That's awesome. That's a good one. Good one. Uh, and along with that, what I was saying about Flurn, if you want a subscription to Flurn, I've got a code for you, a discount code behind the shot twenty, no spaces. Behind the Shot 20, if you sign up for a flurn subscription. And flurn is like an online education site, but Aaron Nace is just, in my opinion, one of the best people at, at teaching. I mean, he's so real and so approachable and gives you all the download files. I'm sounding like I'm a commercial. I will state up front. I am not sponsored by flurn I just am really appreciative that he gave the, the viewers and listeners of the show a, a discount code. That's awesome. Flickr Group. Behind the Shot on Flickr. Make sure you do that. And also, uh, the podcast itself, all the links to subscribe are at behindtheshot.tv. So you can go there and find every link. But let me just tell you up front if you use a podcast app to subscribe, you, you can subscribe to the video version, you can subscribe to the audio version, either one of those in your podcast app, depending on whether or not it supports video. And then also the video is on YouTube at behind the shot. So you can subscribe on YouTube as well and make sure you hit that bell, man. Just bang that bell so that you get a notice on everything. Abarionix dude, I appreciate it. Uh, tell me one more thing on your podcast really quick. Any guests that you know, you've got coming up or recent ones you've had, you want to mention?
1: Oh man. There have been I know.
0: Cause you're every some, week. You've got a ton of so
1: many people. Yeah. I mean, as soon as you ask me, I draw a complete blank. Just uh, d- just tell people to go check it out. I mean, they can do us uh, If you go to... I have an app for the Candid Frame, for, both on Android and on uh, Apple iOS. So it's searchable. So you can search by name or you can search by genre. So if you have a particular affinity for a particular type of um, photography, uh, just put in a keyword and you'll likely find a photographer that... Uh,
0: and, and you've had, I mean, let's be honest, 13 years, yes, but it's not just that. Your podcast is so well-known and so well-respected now that you've pretty much had almost anybody that could be anybody on the show at one point or another.
1: Oh, well, I wish I could say that. There's so many people like, I've yet to get on the show, but.
0: Okay, you open the door. Who's the bucket list guest that you have not had?
1: Oh, man, that's that's a lot of buckets. Oh, really? Um, there's. Yeah, that's a lot of buckets. It's like Mark Seliger, uh, Bruce Davidson, uh, Annie Leibovitz, um, um, Koudelka, uh Oh, man. I mean, Sebastián Salgado. Um, you know, it's just, it goes on in a platon. Um, you know, it's just, there's so many people I would just love to to sit down with. I'm hoping to get Rebecca Webb and uh, Alex Webb. They just released an ebook on on Brooklyn. So I'm reaching out to them this week and seeing if I can get them on the show since they're promoting a book.
0: And that's one of the fun things, by the way, about podcasting is there's inevitably there is the guest that I get through a connection or just a cold email to somebody saying, hey, we'd be on the show that. And this is kind of inside the beltway type talk. So to the to the listeners, I apologize. But there's always that that moment when sometimes you get a guest like I just started working to get, uh, do you know, Dennis Reggie? Yeah. Mm
1: -hmm. Dennis
0: Reggie is the wedding photographer to the Kennedys. He has been named by more than one magazine as the best wedding photographer on the planet. So uh, I just got him and we're working on getting it. We've already got the image picked. Excited as heck about that one. So if you're a wedding photographer, you'll look forward to that one. Um, So again, Avarian X Pirello, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it.
1: My pleasure, man.
0: So, my name is Steve Brazzle. This is the Behind the Shot podcast. And just a reminder to you, behindtheshot.tv is the website. You can find all of my information at behindtheshot.tv for the podcast, but also stevebrazel.com for me. I'm on most social media as Steve Brazzle. Twitter and Instagram are my favorites. Facebook is Steve Brazel Photography. You can go there if you want. I'm there now and then. That's pretty much about it. Uh, So to everybody, thanks so much for watching. I really appreciate it. This is the show where we try and get inside the mind of great photographers by taking a closer look behind one of their shots. We'll see you on the next show.